Part two, sections fifteen to twenty three of All Things Are Possible by Lev Shestov, translated by S. S. Kotelyansky, eighteen eighty eight to nineteen fifty five. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part two, section fifteen. Astrology and alchemy lived their day and died a natural death but they left a posterity, chemistry inventing dyes and astronomy accumulating formulae. So it is. Geniuses beget idiots, especially when the mothers are very virtuous, as in this case, when their virtue is extraordinary. For the mothers are public utility and morality. The alchemists wasted their time seeking the philosopher's stone, the astrologers swindled people telling fortunes by the stars. Wedded to utility, these two fathers have begotten the chemists and astronomers nobody will dispute the genealogy perhaps even none will dispute that from idiotic children one may with a measure of probability infer genius in the parents there are certain indications that this is so though of course one may not go beyond supposition but supposition is enough there are more arguments in store for instance our day is so convinced of the absolute nonsense and uselessness of alchemy and astrology that no one dreams of verifying the conviction we know there were many charlatans and liars amongst alchemists and astrologers but what does this prove in every department there are the same mediocre creatures who speculate on human credulity however positive our science of medicine is there are many fraudulent doctors who rob their patients the alchemists and astrologers were in all probability the most remarkable men of their time i will go further in spite of dye stuffs and formulae even in our nineteenth century which was so famous for its inventions and discoveries the most eminent talented men still sought the philosopher's stone and forecast the destinies of man and those among them who were possessed of a poetic gift won universal attention in the old days consensu sapientium a poet was allowed all kinds of liberties he might speak of fate miracles spirits the life beyond indeed of anything provided he was interesting that was enough the nineteenth century paid its tribute to restlessness never were there so many disturbing throbbing writers as during the epoch of telephones and telegraphs it was held indecent to speak in plain language of the vexed and troubled aspirations of the human spirit those guilty of the indecency were even dosed with bromides and treated with shower baths and concentrated foods but all this is external it belongs to a history of fashions and cannot interest us here the point is that alchemy and astrology did not die they only shammed death and left the stage for a time now apparently they are tired of seclusion and are coming forward again having pushed their unsuccessful children into the background well so be it a la bonne heure. sixteen man comes to the pass where all experience seems exhausted wherever he go whatever he see all is old and wearyingly familiar most people explain this by saying that they really know everything and that from what they have experienced they can infer all experience this phase of the exhaustion of life usually comes to a man between thirty-five and forty the best period according to karamzin 
not seeing anything new the individual assumes he is completely matured and has the right to judge of everything knowing what has been he can forecast what will be but karamzin was mistaken about the best period and the mature people are mistaken about the nothing new can happen the fact of spiritual stagnation should not be made the ground for judging all life's possibilities from known possibilities on the contrary such stagnation should prove that however rich and multifarious the past may have been it has not exhausted a tittle of the whole possibilities from that which has been it is impossible to infer what will be moreover it is unnecessary except perhaps to give us a sense of our full maturity and let us enjoy all the charms of the best period of life so eloquently described by karamzin the temptation is not overwhelming so that if man is under the necessity of enduring a period of arrest and stagnation and until such time as life restarts is doomed to meditation would it not be better to use this meditating interregnum for a directly opposite purpose from the one indicated that is to say for the purpose of finding in our past signs which tell us that the future has every right to be anything whatsoever like or utterly unlike the past such signs given a good will to find them may be seen in plenty at times one comes to the conclusion that the natural connection of phenomena as hitherto observed is not at all inevitable for the future and that miracles which so far have seemed impossible may come to seem possible even natural far more natural than that loathsome law of sequence the law of the regularity of phenomena we are bored stiff with regularity and sequence confess it you also you men of science at the mere thought that however we may think we can get no further than the acknowledgment of the old regularity an invincible disgust to any kind of mental work overcomes us to discover another law still another when already we have far more than we can do with surely if there is any will to think left in us it is established in the supposition that the mind cannot and must not have any bounds any limits and that the theory of knowledge which is based on the history of knowledge and on a few very doubtful assumptions is only a piece of property belonging to a certain caste and has nothing to do with us others und die natur zuletzt sich doch ergründe what a mad impatience seizes us at times when we realize that we shall never fathom the great mystery every individual in the world must have felt at one time the mad desire to unriddle the universe even the stodgy philosophers who invented the theory of knowledge have at times made surreptitious sorties hoping to open a path to the unknown in spite of their own fat senseless books that demonstrate the advantages of scientific knowledge man either lives in continuous experience or he frees himself from conclusions imposed by limited experience all the rest is the devil from the devil come the blandishments with which karamzin charmed himself and his readers or is it the contrary who will answer once again as usual at the end of a pathetic speech one is left with a conjecture let every man please himself but what about those who would like to live according to karamzin but cannot i cannot speak for them schiller recommended hope will it do to be frank hardly he who has once lost his peace of mind will never find it again seventeen 
ever since kant succeeded in convincing the learned that the world of phenomena is quite other than the world of true reality and that even our own existence is not our real existence but only the visible manifestation of a mysterious unknown substance philosophy has been stuck in a new rut and cannot move a single millimeter out of the track laid out by the great Königsbergian. backward or forward it can go but necessarily in the kantian rut for how can you get out of the counterposing of the phenomenon against the thing in itself this proposition this counterposing seems inalterable so there is nothing left but to stick your head in the heavy draught collar of the theory of knowledge which most philosophers do even with a glad smile which inevitably rouses a suspicion that they have got what they wanted and their metaphysical need was nothing more than a need for a harness otherwise they would have kicked at the sight of the collar surely the contraposition between the world of phenomena and the thing in itself is an invention of the reasoning mind as is the theory of knowledge deduced from this contraposing therefore the freedom-loving spirit could reject it in the very beginning and basta with the devil one must be very cautious we know quite well that if he only gets hold of the tip of your ear he will carry off your whole body so it is with reason grant it one single assumption admit but one proposition infinital la comedia you are in the toils metaphysics cannot exist side by side with reason everything metaphysical is absurd everything reasonable is positive so we come upon a dilemma the fundamental predicate of metaphysics is absurdity and yet surely many positive assertions can lay legitimate claim to that self-same highly respectable predicate what then is there means of distinguishing a metaphysical absurdity from a perfectly ordinary one may one have recourse to criteria will not the very criterion prove a pitfall wherein cunning reason will catch the poor man who was rushing out to freedom there can be no two answers to this question all services rendered by reason must be paid for sooner or later at the exorbitant price of self-renunciation whether you accept the assistance in the noble form of the theory of knowledge or merely as a humble criterion at last you will be driven forth into the streets of positivism this happens all the time to young inexperienced minds they break the bridle and dash forward into space to find themselves rushing into the same old rome whither as we know all roads lead or to use more lofty language rushing into the stable whither also all roads lead the only way to guard against positivism granting of course that positivism no longer attracts your sympathies is to cease to fear any absurdities whether rational or metaphysical and systematically to reject all the services of reason such behavior has been known in philosophy and i make bold to recommend it credo quia absurdum comes from the middle ages modern instances are nietzsche and schopenhauer both present noble examples of indifference to logic and common sense particularly schopenhauer who a kantian even in the name of kant made such daring sallies against reason driving her into confusion and shame that astounding kantian even went so far in the master's name still as to attempt the overthrow of the space and time notions he admitted clairvoyance 
and to this day the learned are bothered whether to class that admission among the metaphysical or the ordinary absurdities really i can't advise them a very clever man insists on an enormous absurdity so i am satisfied schopenhauer's whole campaign against intellect is very comforting it is evident that though he set out from the kantian stable he soon got sick of hauling along down the cart ruts and having broken the shafts he trotted jauntily into a jungle of irreconcilable contradictions without reflecting in the least where he was making for the primate of will over reason and music as the expression of our deepest essence are not these assertions sufficient to show us how dexterously he wriggled out from the harness of synthetic judgments a priori which kant had placed upon every thinker there is indeed much more music than logic in the philosophy of schopenhauer not for nothing is he excluded from the universities but of course one may speak of him in the open not of his ideas naturally but of his music the european market is glutted with ideas how neat and nicely finished and logically well turned out those ideas are schopenhauer had no such goods but what lively and splendid contradictions he boldly spreads on his stall often even without suspicion that he ought to hide them from the police schopenhauer cries and laughs and gets furious or glad without ever realizing that this is forbidden to a philosopher do not speak but sing said zarathustra and schopenhauer really fulfilled the command in great measure philosophy may be music though it doesn't follow that music may be called philosophy when a man has done his work and gives himself up to looking and listening and pleasantly accepting everything hiding nothing from himself then he begins to philosophize what good are abstract formulae to him why should he ask himself before he begins to think what can i think about what are the limits of thought he will think and those who like can do the summing up and the building of theories of knowledge what is the earthly use of talking about beauty beautiful things must be created not one single aesthetic theory has so far been able to guess what direction the artist's mind will next take or what are the limits to his creative activity the same with the theory of knowledge it may arrest the work of a man of learning if he be himself afraid that he is going too far but it is powerless to predetermine human thought even kant's counterposing of things in themselves to the world of phenomena cannot finally clip the wings of human curiosity there will come a time when this unshakable foundation of positivism will be shaken all nosiological disputes as to what thought can or cannot achieve will seem to our posterity just as amusing as the disputes of the schoolmen seem to us why did they argue about the nature of truth when they might have gone out and looked for truth itself the future historians will ask let us have an answer ready for them our contemporaries do not want to go out and seek so they make a great deal of talk about a theory of knowledge eighteen trust not thyself young dreamer however sincerely you may long for truth whatever sufferings and horrors you may have surpassed do not believe your own self young dreamer what you are looking for you won't find at the utmost if you have a gift for writing you will bring out a nice original book even do not be offended you may be satisfied with such a result in nietzsche's letters relating to the year eighteen eighty eight the year when brandes discovered him you will find a sad confirmation of the above 
had not nietzsche struggled sought suffered and behold towards the end of his life when it would have seemed that all mundane rewards had become trivial to him he threw himself with rapture on the tidings of first fame and rushed to share his joy with all his friends far and near he does not tire of telling in dozens of letters and in varying forms the story of how brandes first began his lectures on him nietzsche how the audience consisted of three hundred people and he even quotes brandes's placard announcement in the original danish fame just threw him a smile and forgotten are all the horrible experiences of former days the loneliness the desertedness the cave in the mountain the man into whose mouth the serpent climbed all forgotten every thought turned to the ordinary easily comprehensible good such is man mit gierger hand nach schätzen grip und froh ist wenn er regenwürmer findet nineteen when a man is young he writes because it seems to him he has discovered a new almighty truth which he must make haste to impart to forlorn mankind later becoming more modest he begins to doubt his truths and then he writes to convince himself a few more years go by and he knows he was mistaken all round so there is no need to convince himself nevertheless he continues to write because he is not fit for any other work and to be accounted a superfluous man is so horrible twenty a very original man is often a banal writer and vice versa we tend so often to write not about what is going on in us but of our pia desideria thus restless sleepless men sing the glory of sleep and rest which have long been sung to death and those who sleep ten hours on end and are always up to the mark must perforce dream about adventures and storms and dangers and even extol everything problematical twenty one when one reads the books of long-dead men a strange sensation comes over one these men who lived two hundred three hundred three thousand years ago are so far off now from this writing which they have left on earth yet we look for eternal truths in their works twenty two the truth which i have the right to announce so solemnly to-day even to the first among men will probably be a stale old lie on my lips to-morrow so i will deprive myself of the right of calling such a truth my own probably i shall deprive no one but myself others will go on loving and praising the self-same truth living with it twenty three a writer who cannot lie with inspiration and that is a great art which few may accomplish loves to make an exhibition of honesty and frankness nothing else is left him to do end of part two section twenty three recording by expatriate in bangor maine